make sure of yourself, ain't you, Virgil? Virgil, that's a funny name for a nigger boy that comes from Philadelphia. What do they call you up there? They call me Mr. Tibbs. Mr. Tibbs! Well, Mr. Wood, take Mr. Tibbs, take him down to the depot, and I mean boy like now. Have the FBI lab send you the report on this. Not that it'll make any difference. I'll take that. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Posh Presents Pictures Power. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Slominski. And I'm Bartek. How are you, Bartek? I'm doing well. How are you, Ryan? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Um, I've, I had to really think about some of the things I'm going to be mentioning in this episode because uh, we'll get into it in a second, but there's a lot of uh, context I need to provide for the movie we're discussing and the times that we are currently recording this in, if you understand my drift. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's afternoon. Bef- this film's set in the <laughs> But before we get into all that, where, yeah, Ryan and Bartek spin post, because we're always spitting and we both happen to be Polish for all those newcomers, Pictures Power is the show in which we talk about a movie that has come recommended. Uh, last week it was Bartek's pick, this week it's my pick, and next week it'll be the listening people's pick. So that's right, you listening people out there, you can recommend a movie to us. We have all of our social media and email stuff in the description, and we'll talk about that at the end of the episode, because, hey, we're always up for for listening people's suggestions. But this week, my suggestion for the 1967 film, yes, 1967 uh, film, yep. In the Heat of the Night. Um, starring Rod Steiger and Sidney Poitier. Um, acting royalty, both of them, indeed. Uh, so, before we get into our history and our relationship and what we thought of the movie, bit of context for things going on. I picked this movie before all of the current um, real-world issues going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and the George Floyd riots and all that stuff happening this just happened to coincide with all of this happening this wasn't a specific choice because of that or anything relating to that but of course talking about this movie in which we're dealing with uh, racist police and racial issues in america and the south as well and all this kind of stuff obviously this will touch upon some of the real world issues going on as do a lot of movies about racism that would be discussed on the podcast because racism is still a prevailing thing in our society. And so that is always the power of films uh, that deal with the issues of racism. But I just wanted to make it clear that we didn't pick this because of what was happening in the real world. This was picked before everything has kind of kicked off and things just happen to coincide Another weird little tidbit of coinciding is one of the actors in the movie, the the revealed killer in the movie, also happened to die during the week. So it's one of those coinciding oh, wow. things as well. So just wanted to get that out there. You know, we will talk about the, you know, racism and the real world kind of stuff as well, because that's obviously something one has to talk about when you're talking about a movie that deals with racism and with the movie that in its behind-the-scenes production, had to deal with racism in the behind-the-scenes as well. Sidney Poitier is one of those actors who had to deal with much racism, so we'll be talking about that. But I just wanted to kind of clear the air on that, because, you know, I could see people being like, here it is, dropping in their RSS feed or whatever, and their podcast feed is just, oh, here's, here's those two white Australian guys doing In the Heat of the Night during this time of crisis. That seems like whatever, but... I just wanted to say, like, that straight up, because I was really tossing up previously on my pick between Harvey and this movie, and I chose Harvey, and then I was like, I still want to do this movie, so just wanted to get that out of the way right now, just get that discussion out there. So, Bartek, 
I have a history with this movie. I've seen this movie a few times, but what about you? Have you seen this movie and or heard of it? No, I hadn't seen or heard of this film. So, even the title and the when you did watch it, the eventual story of it, you, you weren't familiar with this at all? Like, it wasn't one of those ones where you're watching and you go, oh, yeah, I've heard of this, or, like, I know this from references and culture. I, I know the iconic... I caught the iconic line, um, and I might have heard the name of the film running around, but the, the iconic line, I guess, would be the one thing that I've caught. Which is? They call me Mr. Tibbs. <laughs> that was your impression of it, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those lines, too, where, um, like, with most famous lines in pop culture, it gets exaggerated as time goes on. Like, in your brain, my brain, I always think of it as way more overstated than it actually is in the movie. Like, I always think of him shouting it more and being like, They call me Mr. Tibbs! And no, it's a lot more... Like, it's still full-on, but it is reserved. But, like, you know what I'm talking about with some of these lines in pop culture? They kind of get more and more grandiose as time goes on and they've been regurgitated so much. Yeah, well, this one's lucky in that sense because at least they've gotten all the words of it right. There are still some that, like, they change words around. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I will be back. Yeah, classic example. No. Or <laughs> well, the uh, Luke, so... I am your father is actually no, I am your father. Yeah, so... You hadn't seen or heard of this movie, really. So, um, did you? So you didn't know anything when going into watching this. You went in blind. I mostly, yeah. I knew that Sidney Poitier was in it, and I knew that it was a mystery film. Oh, you did. Okay, you knew that at least. Okay, cool, cool. Are you familiar with the works of the lead actors in this movie? No, not really. So you have or haven't seen anything with Sidney Poitier or Rod Steiger? I'm not sure about Rod Steiger, but I think I have missed out on Sidney Poitier, which I was really looking forward to this because I've heard he's a great actor. And he is, and this is his favourite film of his own, and boy is he right to choose that because it's my favourite film of his as well. Um, Rod Steiger, I can't remember, have you seen um, On the Waterfront? Marlon Brando? No, I haven't. Oh, he's in that as his brother, and he's really good in that. I am more familiar with Sidney Poitier's work than um, than Rod Steiger. I am familiar with Rod Steiger. He was in Mars Attacks, of course, the iconic Tim Burton movie where he plays like the insane four-star general or five-star general who's insane and nuts and funny. But I'm more familiar with Rod Steiger's work with him being a, a supporting character more so than a lead or, in this case, a co-lead character. Um, so this is probably the film of his I've seen where he's got more of a, of a, of a leading position. Of course, you know, it's more about Virgil Tibbs, but you know, they are both, I would say, are, are, are the leads of the movie. They're both pretty equal as main characters. Um, yep. and Sidney Poitier, I am familiar with his work. I've seen a good bunch of his films. We were talking before we recorded that in the IMDb trivia, they pointed out like, in this particular year that this film came out, two of his other iconic movies came out, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and uh, To Serve With Love. And those are great, great films. To Serve With Love is is not as great, but it is very charming. It's a little dated, but it's interesting nonetheless. And I reckon you would enjoy it. It's about him being a teacher in London. Um, mm. and, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner had a great remake. Of course. Of course, Guess Who. Um... Percy Jones. And Zoe Saldana. With Quincy Jones, yeah. Um, Quincy, no, sorry. Quincy Jones did the music to this, by the way. Percy Jones. Um, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah but, I know. Um, Percy Jones. But Quincy Jones, the father of Rashida Jones. Um, and uh, Either way. Uh, um, yeah, and Sidney Poitier, he's done other movies, like The Defiant Ones, which I'm sure you have heard of, Bartek. And is probably, uh, if you haven't heard of the title, you're probably familiar with the premise of that one, which is... Sidney Poitier and I want to say Tony Curtis um, are chained together and they're in a chain gang and they jump off a train together and they're like an odd couple mismatched and they're both trying to escape together but they both hate each other. Yeah. They both learn to get on and it's in the south and whatnot. So yeah. So Bartek, I love this movie. I picked this movie because it's a movie that I I think of as an example of a great film. What did you think of this film? I really enjoyed it. I found it very captivating. Yeah? 
That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What about it did you enjoy? I thought that uh, a lot of Sidney Poitier's uh, physical movements and uh, presence was really powerful. Like the moments where, for example, he's inspecting the dead body and you're following his hands, like everything felt like it had a purpose. Um, all of the moments where he's just standing and silently staring, I thought those were all very powerful. Just like I was watching it and just wanting more. So you're you're a fan of Sydney Sydney in this, huh? Mm-hmm. He's your go-to. He's he's your anchor of enjoyment for the movie. What about Rod Steiger? He has a also a very difficult role, and I do believe he got. I think did he win for this, or at least he got nominated for this as well, if not won for this. Um, what did you think about Rod? Yeah, I'm not sure if he got nominated or won. I actually didn't check. Um, yeah, I thought he did great. He he had a lot of. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. The words escaping me, but uh, he had he had a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, they both have a very interesting job as actors, the both of them, because I think we, the audience, are more fascinated by Sidney Poitier because he has the major conflict that is obvious, which is he's a, a black man with power in a place that doesn't want him. And and also, like you said, he's so captivating. It's his voice. It's his his mannerisms. His outfit. The way he moves. The he just says, just looking at him, I command the room. Like you just can't not look at him. He's just he's captivating as a performer. And Virgil Tibbs is a is a fascinating character. And it's not necessarily like Virgil Tibbs in this performance is, it's not like we haven't seen this kind of character before, especially this type of detective character before, but there is just a, 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 a an on-screen charm to Sidney Poitier playing this character. And you just can't take your eyes off of him. He's just that engaging. We also, he says recently, you dig. He says you dig. Which is great because, I just again, this film deals with multiple levels of bigotry, not just in terms of race, but there's also class and, you know, city versus rural, men versus women type of stuff. And moments like that when he says hip things of the time, like you dig and whatever, it's reminding you that he's not from this world. He's not from this little country town in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. He's from a city. So he's trying to be, you know, he's trying to do that kind of stuff. And I love the little things when, like when he says, you dig? Because it just reminds you, just the, that kind of stuff reminds you, yeah, he's not from here. Not just he's wearing a suit and he's a, and he's a black man and so on. Just little touches like, like phrases like that just remind you that he's not from here. Yeah. I like this movie a lot. I love it. And yeah, Sidney Poitier, Virgil Tibbs is, is an iconic performance and character you you got it right on the head Bartek with it's his physicality I thought you would definitely bring up the scene I think where it strikes me with his physicality of when he's in when he's locked up in the jail cell um with the guy who's left-handed Howard I think his name is and that guy is grilling him about like why are you wearing white people clothes and like why are you locked up with me and all he does is just raise his finger and points at him and it just you can feel like the, the the noise of the room just drain away, and this is like the most important thing in the world. Did you notice that? I did, yeah. That was a that was a great little scene. So, um, just to talk about the plot of the movie for the listening people, because obviously, um, we are talking about this movie in depth and spoilers. I forgot forgot to kind of mention that, but we haven't really gotten to the plot of it. Um, so if people haven't had the chance to watch In the Heat of the Night, I would recommend giving it a watch. Uh, and even if you have seen it, see it again. It's always worth watching. Yeah, you know, in a, in our troubling times that we are in, I mean, it is one of those movies where, you know, there's uncomfortable things in here when it comes to, to treatment of black people that might be touching a few nerves even today, but that kind of speaks to the volume of how powerful the movie truly is, that that there are still uncomfortable moments and that are that are present in the film even all these decades later just want to get that out of the way so the basic plot is uh you know local local guy in this little country town of Sparta wasn't it um 
gets murdered and he was going to bring the big factory to town and make it everyone have jobs and be happy and oh he's been murdered and who's murdered him and but and by happenstance Sidney Poitier is waiting for a train at the train station in this little town and he's picked up as a suspect because he's a one he's a black man and two he's a stranger the deadly combination in this town, and uh, he gets picked up, and they treat him like suspect number one until they realize he's a cop. And not only is he a cop, he's the best cop in the world. He is the lead homicide detective, basically. (laughs) Yep. And he reluctantly, and they reluctantly, ask him to join the investigation and help solve this murder. And it's just a basic little murder mystery where... Let's be honest, Bartek, it's not really about the case. It's more about the dynamic of the characters, mainly Gillespie and uh, and Tibbs. I 100% agree. So tell me, tell me what you thought about this movie. Tell me, tell me your your views. You give me, give me your feelings on this, Bartek, because you've been very kind of like, yep, it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So walking in, obviously, as soon as we had the first interaction between Sidney Poitier and the 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 white police officer, it was immediately illustrating, like, okay, yeah, this is gonna be a film that heavily deals with you know racist tensions. Uh, you know, we're already getting the you know boy, come here, boy, kind of thing going on. Um, but still, at this point, I wasn't sure like how heavily they were gonna lean into it. Like, I didn't know if it was gonna be you know, a bit restrained, or if they were going to go full into it. And as the film went on, uh, pretty much just every example of, you know, racism towards uh, Mr. Tibbs was going full into it. They were dropping slurs, they were showing imagery, and they even had a scene where, you know, he gets slapped and he has to retaliate there, which that was a very, very strong moment for the film. Very confronting moment. Yeah, it's it was an icon. It's an icon. It's probably the most iconic thing in the movie, because it was the first time in cinema, mm. I believe, or at least American cinema, which a black person slapped a white man back. I mm. like that in itself is like such a powerful statement, and it's great also because it's Sidney Poitier doing it, and he's been in so many movies at that point that are about like black people's struggles, and he's been the victim of oppression, and he's been you know, a victim of racism. And in this movie, he has the power for a majority of the time. And that's what makes everyone so uncomfortable in this town is that this guy is allowed to have power. And that is an unnerving thing. Like when he slaps the old racist guy, the scene ends with the old racist guy crying. <laughs> yeah. Because he's and not allowed to shoot him. to the... <laughs> that's right and even jumping back to the autopsy scene where where tibbs is just trying to mm. do his job and he's getting all this attitude from them just having the the chief of police just being like you do what he says and things like that just that whole scene also and that was an earlier example as well so that really set the stage mm. yeah it was a lot of like and here's the thing too you you said it like um the film goes full on with the racism you know you have hordes of guys chasing him and they're going to most likely kill him and lynch him and all of that and you have slurs and whatnot yet at the same time when you say this it's not as full-on black racist drama affair as something like 12 years a slave or other movies because this film doesn't really use the n-word that much it's really not used that much, and you think with a with a movie with this pitch, you're thinking, oh, every second word's going to be that. But it isn't used that often, and when it is, it's actually used as a point. Like, it's actually effective. This isn't a Quentin Tarantino movie where every third word is that, and it kind of loses its impact. This movie makes sure that its racism and its racist moments actually have an impact by how they're placed and how often that they are used, because... No offense to these type of movies, but there is a level of them where, you know, you you have to, you kind of get like emotionally worn out and numb at a certain point. If you watch enough of these kind of uh, the, 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 uh, the, the racism type movies, especially the ones about um, African-Americans, when you get to like stuff like The Color Purple and 12 Years a Slave and it's just like... You're seeing it full on and it's good to have those type of movies but you have a type of movie like this in which there's the fear that that will happen 
but it's not like they're dropping the n-word every two seconds they try and the thing that makes it uncomfortable yeah, yeah, is that, I kind you can of meant see more these in the people sense of like, try to tolerate him yeah when i said that it uh you know went full on it wasn't so much in the sense of like you know racist exploitation i meant more so in the sense that they they weren't gonna skirt around the whole racism issue they were actually gonna present it in a in a realistic way yeah yeah that's that's true it was one of the interesting things on this rewatching of it was that was really confronting to me was how there were characters who were were racist still but they tried to be tolerant of him being there physically in their company but you could tell that they still didn't like him and when given the chance they would show their disdain openly but that is something that's so true to life as someone who grew up in a small rural town in Australia that's one of the most racist towns in Australia um that is the kind of case where like you know there's that politeness there but really they they hate you kind of um mm. aspect there and if given the right opportunity or the chance they'll show that open disdain fully and that was one of the things i really um appreciated that detail in this movie it wasn't like every single character was out and out like full-on bigot they were the ones who given the chance would be bigots but for the most like for for good parts of it they were they were trying to be decent enough not to but you could still tell that there was hostility there because he is a black man with power in a town in which you know the black people live in their own little part of town mm. So yeah, this film is about the the uh, the racist struggle and not so much about the murder mystery plot. That is just an excuse to delve into these to these themes and to the relationship between our two um, two central characters. Did you have um, any particular scenes or moments that really stood out to you in this film? Um, well, certainly the the scene where they threw him in the jail, that was, uh, like, you know, that was a moment of, what are you guys doing? He, he's on your side. <laughs> Just this really futile act, and then they don't even keep him in there that long. No, and they make him sign the papers <laughs> for false arrest. Yeah. <laughs> That is a great scene. Like, that whole sequence is just like, oh my god, it's so futile. Like, you know, Gillespie's just kind of this incompetent cop. And the thing, too, is you can tell that he's a smart guy and he's a good guy. But at the same time, he's lazy and he just kind of wants things done and he doesn't want to have to deal with it properly. Mm. It's not like it's said, but it kind of gives the, the, the there's this air to it of that the town doesn't experience murders that often either. Um, mm. It's not like the snowman where they explicitly say out loud, oh, there's never been murders in this precinct before. We don't know how to deal with it. It's not specifically said in that manner, but it does feel like these are people who haven't had to really do a homicide case before. They do have lines where they're like, he wasn't hired as chief of police because of his homicide expertise. Um, he literally says the line, because I'm no expert. Yeah, because I'm no expert. Yeah, exactly right. Um, one of the scenes that really strikes a chord with me on this rewatch, of course, the iconic scene of They Call Me Mr. Tibbs is is the big scene of the movie. It's a great scene. It's filled with tension. You can really feel the heat in the air and the sweat on their skin. You can really feel it. That's also the strength of this movie is you can just, you know, it's like you can feel the humidity from this film. But the scene that really strikes a chord with me is when they're in, um, when they're just, sitting together in his house Gillespie's house and they're just chatting late at night that scene really strikes a chord it's just these two men letting their defenses down and chatting to each other and then you know Virgil says a certain thing that makes him just you know put that wall back up and he's just back to you know what he's always you know he's just back to being hostile again yeah uh, and that's uh, that that scene really in particular was strong. And then I found out it's a scene mainly improvised. And I'm like, oh, okay. See, I don't have a problem with improvisation in movies because sometimes it can lead to genuinely great things. But when it's like a Judd Apatow comedy, it doesn't. <laughs> you should, yeah, you should call all of them and say, go sit down and watch uh, In the Heat of the Night. In the Heat of the Night, yeah. Um, yeah, In the Heat of the Night, you know, you've got 
Virgil Tibbs. Oh my god, I love when um when Gillespie finds out that his name is Virgil. He has such glee when he hears it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like laughing and smiling and he's like <laughs> nearly cracking up. He's like, oh, Virgil, you're a good man, aren't you, Virgil? <laughs> <laughs> he's a big fan of Dante's Inferno. Of course. I, yeah, there's just so much to to, to talk about. So, um, what? okay, so was there any like... Other th- like, what are some of the things that you want to discuss? Because this is your first time viewing it. I, you know, I just kind of mm-hmm. want to pick apart and discuss with you, you know, that kind of stuff. This is the first time viewing because I remember my first time viewing it. It was late at night. It was on ABC Two, and it was just one of those movies that like it instantly grabbed me because you have that, you know, that great music at the start with Ray Charles singing the song, and you got the train coming, and you're like, okay, what is this? You know, and it's unfolding Dude, in front of how, you. How old? How old were you when you watched it? I would have been like 16, I want to say. All right. 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Right. I'd seen a few Sidney Poitier movies by that time. I think the Defiant ones was the first one of his I'd seen, and then maybe To Sew With Love. Um, but yeah. So so tell me more about your 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 whole feelings on this movie, what you got out of it emotionally and all of that. Ah. Uh... Yeah, it's, uh, I was surprised, because uh, you've already mentioned this actually, but uh, I was surprised at how little the mystery actually really mattered in the viewing of it. Like, when we eventually find out who the murderer was, it was, like, semi-surprising, but yeah, the, the whole crux of the film really was uh, just following this character's experience in the town, uh, and just seeing all these little moments of Again, I think you even mentioned this also. Uh, characters who are, in a way, trying to get along with him, but like the 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 racist inclinations that they have, are just too strong. Like uh, we even mentioned before, the the scene where he's thrown in prison. How that scene begins with a character basically shaming all the police officers and telling them like, "What is going on here? You guys have a job to do, and you're, you know, goofing around doing this." And she ends up being the character that kind of speaks up for uh, Mr. Tibbs. So yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of futility in people's attitudes that was really interesting to see, and just seeing you know Virgil Tibbs always being in a good mindset in dealing with all of this. Yeah, and that 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 that's interesting too that you mentioned the the widow of of the victim. When she first sees him and has to interact with him and he gives her the harsh news of it all, she doesn't want him to touch her. And whether mm. it's because he's black or because she's grieving over this loss and that's just her natural reaction is really kind of up to you. Because in the end, you know, he does and he helps sit her down and he comforts her in his way. And then she becomes his champion and basically the reasoning as to why he's doing the case because then she's threatening to pack up the business and leave them there to basically be the small nothing town forever. Mm. And <laughs> and that builds up a resentment for him being on the case even more so from someone like Gillespie because now he's even more so being forced to have him on this case or else, you know, the mayor's going to be upset with him and and all of that. And it is, you know, a, a lot of stuff. And like that scene where she, she condemns them for mucking around and I just want you to do your job and arrest the man that murdered my husband. <laughs> like... It's it's really full on, and um, she gave a great performance. That actress, I want to say her name's like Lee Grant or something, and um, she was great. Uh, I've seen her in a couple of things, but she she really did a good job. And she's not in the movie that long, you know. She's just kind of here, and then she's she's there. She's there to deliver the powerful stuff. She's there to deliver. She's like the audience where she just shakes them and be like, stop fucking about and just do your jobs. <laughs> because we're sitting there. Because I wondered with you, were you frustrated with the movie? Because the movie does that thing in which, hey, you're on the case. You're off the case. You're on the case. You're off the case. Get in and join me in my case. Go on the train and leave. Were you frustrated yeah, by that it's... back and forth tug of war? Uh, it didn't frustrate me, but it did lean into the whole futility thing. Like, just the amount of times 
where the the attitude of Gillespie was, all right, leave the town, no wait, stay. It, it was more amusing than frustrating, but not in like, you know, oh, that's hilarious. I think another one of my favorite scenes is when Gillespie swallows his, his pride and goes to the train station to get him to come back. And then it becomes mm. a pissing contest between the two of them. And Gillespie just strokes his ego. And then, <laughs> like you did, Sidney Poitier has such physical presence. His whole, like, you know, swaying his legs back and forth and hands in his pocket and, like, kicking the ground and then eventually grabbing his suitcase and going back in the police car. <laughs> yeah. It was so, like, like a child, you know? Like, all right, I'll come back, you know? <laughs> And that's the thing that I also like about this movie, too, is... Okay, it's easy. Gillespie's a flawed character, obviously. He's a racist. He has his own personal bigotries. He's not as bad as the others, but, um, you know, but he's got a shitty office. He's got shitty staff. You know, he's the only one that kind of knows what they're doing, but even he doesn't know. And you're like, okay, it's easy. He's a flawed character, but then you have... The high pristine, you know, cool as ice, Sidney Poitier, Virgil Tibbs. But then you discover through the movie that Virgil himself is also a deeply flawed character. Because one of the things that I always have found fascinating in the movie is Endicott, the 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 cotton field owner, the former slave master kind of guy, is just a red herring. He's not actually got anything to do with the actual murder or anything. But because he's in uh, uh, you know, a white, you know, white old racist guy. Virgil just goes, "Oh, he did it," and I've got to, and I've got to prove that he did it. And he kind of manipulates the evidence in the case for a good portion of the movie to fit that his own narrative that this guy must be responsible because he has a, his own personal bias. Yeah, and that in itself is is. He's stereotyping, or he's putting this person into this box that he wants them to fit them in, and that's why I mean this film deals with multiple levels of 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 bigotry, not just racism. There's also, like we said, there's a classism kind of thing, and there's all these different things. There's a real uh, big back and forth, and I love also like um, we don't talk about this much in our movies discussions because you know we don't pretend to be big experts on on racial issues and stuff, but Virgil Tibbs is an example of a character who plays up to, to racial coding. You know, he he knows to play the kind of slick as cool, kind of friendly enough for white people to stand kind of black person, but then also when he has to speak to black people himself, he kind of really plays into that kind of racial coding. Like, at the end, when he's talking to Mama, he's completely... Yeah switching up his whole thing and not only is it because he's a cop but also you know he's aware he's a black guy and he's got to speak to her like he's like he's on her level as well and yet when he's with the white guys and all that he's kind of playing into their kind of thing as well until you know he has to snap eventually they call me mr tibbs he slaps the guy back you know that kind of thing yeah he puts on the personas that he needs for the job and again, it's not like the movie heavily discusses that as the big thing. It's just these are little things sewn throughout the character and throughout the film. And that's what makes it such a rich, nuanced film is the characters are more than what they seem. Including Sam, the, the, the racist cop we meet at the beginning. You know, you're thinking, oh, he's going to be an antagonistic force in the whole movie, but he kind of is okay enough with uh, Virgil for most of the movie until... When he changes his his uh his route and and uh, Virgil knows that he changed it, then he yeah, gets, gets antagonistic. Well, hmm. But uh, what did you think about that whole stuff? The movie opens with with him going through the streets, and you get introduced to that story of um the young sixteen year old girl who likes to walk around naked. Mm. What did you think about that? Because that's a part of the central murder mystery plot is is this girl getting pregnant to this guy and all of that. Yeah, it's uh, just in the context of how it's presented. Yeah, it was a real, I guess, tone setter for the film. Like, we get that the, the, the police of this film are not going to be, you know, the super moral upright ones. They've got a bit of an attitude to them. And also this one here is a bit more of a sleazy one. 
So, yeah, it really gives you an idea of what we have going forward. And then, of course, we see the dead body and realize, okay, this is going to be an investigation film. And then it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> it, want, it, it says it is. It kind of is. But, yeah, it's more about yeah. the, the power play dynamics. I just love um, just the both of them. You know, they're both such interesting characters. Virgil Tibbs is obviously the one we all love and adore and he's you know, fascinating, like, that scene in which he's detailing why, like, um, he's left-handed, and you're, so what, he's a lefty, what does that matter? Uh, it means he's innocent. <laughs> and you're like, Jesus. <laughs> but he's not like he's rampaging in there to stop him from arresting that guy. He's kind of like, well, I know he's innocent, but um, I'm just going to go back home and tell the FBI about it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh such a such a well-crafted movie. What did you think about the music of the movie? Because it's very of its time, but I wonder, do you think it's too much of a dated quality of the movie, or do you think it adds a certain flavour and character of its own? I think it adds a good character, good flavour to its own. Um, yeah, I feel like it complemented well the fact that the film opened in, like, this, you know, nighttime setting. It's just this kind of... Kind of chilled back kind of thing while while you're while you're absorbing the tone that the film's giving you, and then at the end the film ends on daytime and it feels a bit different. Yeah, that is true. Um, yeah. So in the heat of the night, nineteen sixty-seven. You know, a very different time, a very different world, but also very similar in a lot of ways to how things are today. Do you think a movie like like this can be made still? Hmm. Um Maybe it could. I think it might be able to be made. You sound cautious about it though. You don't sound 100% on that. Well, that's that's cuz I'm making my mind up. <laughs> making it up. I don't know. I think it could. I think, you know, the, the, the immediate answer would be no, they don't make movies uh, this subtle anymore, but that's not true. They do make subtle movies like this still. I, I, I think, though, the issues would fall, and I think there would be a temptation to lean harder into the overt racism more so that this movie, obviously, like we said, it has lots of overt racism, but there's also a lot of subtle racism that's sprinkled throughout the movie and bigotry. And I and I would worry that maybe uh, uh, if they did a new version of this or they tried to do something like this, there would be that temptation there to make it a way more overt kind of thing. And that's nothing wrong with that kind of you know, overt, you know, you're dealing with racism, there's nothing wrong about being overt about the issues of it, but I think, you know, this movie has quite a lot of subtlety, and it kind of withholds a lot of things, and is really restrained, and and it's still groundbreaking, of course, as well, like, you know, this film was groundbreaking, uh, you know, the, the, the slap back, but also one of the first movies in colour that actually lit a black actor or darker-skinned person in correctly. Isn't that crazy, Bartek? Yeah, I know. 67. It took him that long to figure mm. out maybe we should, you know, have the lighting look good for for I guess, yeah. anyone with darker skin. I guess another factor uh, contributing to this idea of could it be made today is that uh, because there is such a big pushback against racism and, you know... Uh, you know, just anti-bigotry in general, they probably put in a whole faction of people in the film that are, uh, you know, anti that sentiment. Whereas for this film, it's mostly just one black guy put next to a bunch of people who are various degrees of racist. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I just also, you know what I think too is lacking, would lack in a film like this? This film really has, and I've never been to America, right? I don't know America stuff properly. I've never lived there. But this film, mm. from a feeling of what I know of America, this feels like a Southern movie, you know? It has that real Southern feel with the music and the way it's lit, and obviously it's set in the South. But, you know, it just really does feel like 
you know, from there. And I don't think a lot of movies as much, and this is just me being broad strokes, that are dealing with, with racism itself would have the feeling of the South, probably set in the South, but uh, whether it would have the kind of that raw feeling that you kind of get, I'm not 100% sure on, honestly. Yet again, I don't go out of my way to seek story those kind of big time dramas about the african-american struggles so much because there is a disconnect for me being a, a white australian guy and um you know we got our own kind of racial tensions going on but they are prevalent and i've seen quite a lot of them and i do find them striking as stories i you know the fact that these things are still going on we look at something like oh in the heat of the night and go oh, well, that was made in the past, so it's different now. Or you look at 12 Years a Slave, and that's set in the past, and you go, oh, well, it's different now. But mm, is it, though? Not really. I mean, in ways, yes, in ways, no. But as we are seeing right now, as we record this episode, how the world is is reacting to, you know, police brutality and murder and all of that kind of racial strife and stuff like that and this kind of movie too it's like asking something that i think may be a little bit more difficult to swallow in a time like this which is hey we've got a bunch of racist white cops you but you know one of them you can like them because at the end you kind of like him don't you you like rod steiger by the end yeah oh yeah i think throughout the whole film like he shows I guess if we were trying to look at this as a film of him getting over his bigotry, then I'd say he has potential. But um, he he has his lighter moments, like when he when he saves uh Virgil from the four guys in that warehouse. Yeah, yeah, and you know that he he fully condemns people who don't let Virgil do his job. He's like, I told you, he's with me. You gotta let him do this. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there would also be that issue of like, you know, like this is a film in which they're both equal leads. Maybe you would lean more to Virgil being the pure lead. And it's also kind of like, you know, we've seen a lot of since this movie, a lot of um, white man um, repentance type of characters in this. I will never forget. Was it Benedict Cumberbatch? In is it Benedict Cumberbatch in Twelve Years a Slave? I want to say who's like I'm a good guy, white guy, or Brad Pitt, one of them. It's like I'm a good guy, white guy. I haven't seen it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, this this in the heat of the night is just one of those movies that yeah, there's technical things wrong with it, and there are some elements of the story that do get a little dry, and there are lots of repetition of things for sure. Um, but. I'm going to be 100% honest, I don't have any negatives of this movie. Yeah, those are there, but they don't bother me. To me, and I don't often say this, but to me, this is just a perfect movie. Yeah, I know there are imperfections in it, but for my own personal taste, this is a movie that I look at and go, yes, this is how you make a film. This is how you do it. This is... This is a quintessential watch. If you are into cinema and you want to really say that you've watched s- movies and films and stuff, I think this is one of the ones you should check out. There are obviously a list of ones like, oh, Citizen Kane and Casablanca and those two, obviously. But I think In the Heat of the Night often doesn't get as acclaimed as much as it should. It's always in the list of highly acclaimed movies. But I feel like more people should see this movie i think it's uncomfortable i think it's funny as well i think it has really intense characters and really light characters and moments and scenes and set pieces and if you just want to see two great actors facing off and working together because this film is just like uh the best stuff is when just those two guys are talking to one another or interacting and that stuff is just amazing. You don't need the car chases and the shooty shooties and the murder mystery doesn't matter. It's the conversations and the dynamics that matter. And that's, to me, it's just a perfect film in my, in my opinion. I just look at it and go, I don't have, I don't have any problems with this movie. It just, it is one of those films that I always forget until I rewatch it or really give it a thought that, man, I really do love this film. This film really does rank highly. Like, is it in my top 10? 
no, it isn't, but it should be in my brain. Like, in my brain, and after having watched it, I'm like, this really should be in my top ten. But for me, it's just, yeah, this is one of those ones where I go, I don't have any issues with it. Yeah, well, it can't be in your top ten because the director has to make a bunch of bad films first. You're right, you're right. M. Night, looking at you. Um, and Jolly Boy. Oh, yes, that too. Uh, but not the Coens. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah. Um, anything else you want to discuss about this, Bartek? Uh, I'll just add quickly that I completely agree with you. The end product of this film is great, and I'm... If we are putting it on the level of, like, you know, Citizen Kane, Casablanca, and all those other great films, uh, I'm honestly surprised I don't hear about it much, uh, as much as those. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we were talking before we recorded, that year had so many great movies that this film beat out as best picture. And you just look at those movies, and you're like, those are great, great films too. And, uh, you know, that happens sometimes. Like, the the film that won Best Picture over, say, something like Psycho was The Apartment. And that movie, I think, is a genuinely great movie. I, I love The Apartment, but no one really talks about The Apartment nowadays. People just go, oh, Psycho, that didn't win Best Picture or nominated or whatever. Like, oh, that's shit. But, like, or... um. You know how Citizen Kane wasn't even nominated for any big awards, but the movie that did win, no one ever talks about how green was my valley. <laughs> no one talks about that movie. And A that... film with green in the title winning Best Picture that no one likes? Yeah, I know, right? It's um, odd. I know, it's odd, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's the thing too. There you go. Green Book. We're making a reference to Green Book. Green Book, there you go, where, where Green Book's a big racial movie in which you have a, a strong, cool black guy. Like, you could see um, Mahershala Ali play Virgil Tibbs, right? He's basically mm-hmm. trying to be the next Sydney Portier, right? Dignified yeah. black man. There's there's always, like, it feels like Sydney Portier has the crown on that, and he passes it off to, like, and now you have it, Denzel Washington, now you have it, Jamie Foxx, and now Jamie Foxx, give it over to Mahershala. You know, there's a lot of, I'm very, you know, and that's great. Um, but I feel like Sidney Sidney Poitier kind of set the set the groundwork for he, you know, the old phrase Sidney Sidney Poitier learned how to walk so they could run. Um, <laughs> that's kind of how I feel. But yeah, Green Book. There you go. Green Book is a very kind of thing too, where you have. You know, white guy, black guy stuck together. They both don't like each other very much. You know, the white guy's a, a racist kind of slobberly guy. And they go through journeys that don't actually matter because it's actually about their dynamic and their relationship and whatnot. Growing over time and then respecting each other as people. And people are still furious about that movie existing. Right? Mm. And I, I've seen a bit of it and I didn't like that movie very much either. But it's just that kind of thing where it's like, hey, you know... We've seen it, but that film did win Best Picture, so evidently we can still make movies like that. <laughs> that one always really bugs me because I had not heard of that film until it won Best Picture. Oh man, I had. I saw the trailers for it and I was like, eh, 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 it looks alright. I like both actors. That was my opinion. I like both actors. What's that? It's directed by the guy who did Dumb and Dumber? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? The guy who did Three Stooges? What? Um, yeah, the. the, the the In the Heat of the Night is one of those movies where it is just a solid movie. And you could see why it is so many filmmakers and actors and creative people's favorite movies in their favorite movie list, like um, uh, Danny Glover, the iconic Danny Glover from The Shaggy Dog, of course, and uh, I guess mm-hmm. Lethal Weapon. It's apparently one of his favorite movies, and you can totally you can totally see why that's the case. Um, we haven't really talked about this, but uh, recently, Bartek, you had watched for the first time True Detective, and I feel yep. like the dynamic that this show, that this movie has, again, it's similar to the dynamic of our two leads in True Detective. Both those guys happen to be white guys, but you know what I'm talking about? Like, it, this isn't an original thing where it's like these two, like these two competent homicide people working together, but they're conflicting ideologies and all of that and one of them's more prim and proper and one of them's more kind of blue collar yeah yeah when you were talking before about the the real southern flavor that was uh spinning in my mind Mm. 
Um, I can't think of much else to say about In the Heat of the Night. It's just one of those movies where every scene is great. Like, I remembered in film class having to study um, a scene from it, the scene in which they bring Virgil in, and he's, like, banging on about his, his air conditioner or his fan or whatever. And, yeah. And him discovering that he's a policeman and whatnot, and, you know, like, the, the you know, like, how does a boy like you get $600 and all of that? And I was like, I earn, like, this much a week. It's like, oh, yeah, how do you do that? Because I'm a police officer. <laughs> I was like, oh, jeez. Yeah, when, when he says that revealing line, that was one of the powerful lines he got. How did, yeah, that's something, before we wrap up, how did you feel about that? Because you, you didn't know that he was a policeman, right? No, I didn't. So how was that? That would have been like pulling the rug from underneath you, right? It's like, oh man, how's this poor black boy gonna get out of it? And it's like, I am a police officer, and I was like, ooh. <laughs> that was that was my hype moment where I stood up, I threw whatever I was holding in my hand down, and go, oh. <laughs> yeah, you're one of those sports bars where they used to play Game of Thrones and people <laughs> would cheer, but then you're playing in the heat of the night. <laughs> And you're like, whoa! <laughs> he ate how many Goal! packs? He ate how many packs of gum for this movie? Whoa! <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, it's just like this is just solid filmmaking where you could have a film class in which you could literally pick any scene from this movie and do a whole lesson on how this is this is how you do film. It is just one mm. of the, one of those where I could we could do a minute by minute breakdown of this podcast <laughs> of this in of, the heat of the night minute in the heat of the yeah in the heat of the minute yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, that would be a great one I wonder if it exists du, 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 du. no yeah. it doesn't um all right Bartek I think that's kind of all I really have to say about the movie I mean I I, I literally could go on forever about it I love like um. The fact that the Mr. Indicott has his own little, like, black slave butler guy who grabs lemonade, and then that guy gets slammed against him. He gets the door slammed against him when Sidney Poitier leaves the room, the greenhouse. (laughs) Yeah. Ah, just wonderful little details like that, or um, it could go on. That whole scene, really, yeah. That all seems iconic. I mean, you know, it's iconic. And, you know, the way... Oh, what about when Rod Steiger, when he's been asked, like, what are you going to do about that? And he's just, like, mystifies, like, I, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Did you see that? What are you going to do about it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm going to remember that. One of the little touches... Like telltale, he's going to remember that. One of the little... <laughs> Fuck you. One of the little touches I liked was... um. You know how in movies they always have, and the mayor of the town is like this businessman who like wears a three-piece suit and he lives in the mayor's office and whatnot, which isn't always mm-hmm. how it works. I love that the mayor of this town is just some guy who owns a car sh- auto parts shop, and they yeah, that's right. and they go visit him in his office at that at that place of work, and he's just like a guy. Like, how often do you see that in movies? Yeah, the the mayor's just a mechanic guy. Yeah, like, he just owns an, an auto repair shop of some sort or, like, whatever. And he's just like, yeah, geez, I would like you to do it. Like, you think most mayors are, like, the guy from Jaws, right? Where he's, like, an evil yeah, businessman? Or, <laughs> or I guess you sometimes see stories where, like, uh, you know, like, a normal citizen is going to run for mayor, but you never see if they win or not. And this is one of those who just did win. I mean, that's just how it is in country towns, you know? Like, some of them mm. are just local business people, and they're just like, I can do it, and then they do it for a, you know, a little while, and someone else does it, or whatever. But I, it was, I just like that little touch, because I don't see that often in movies, and it's not really, like, it's not like they shine a big light on it, it's just kind of there. Like, oh, they're walking through his, his shop, and he's just like, yep, and you're like, this guy's the mayor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're not paying attention and you just see this interaction, it's like, why is this Why is this mechanic so important? Why haven't we talked about the best scene of the movie, which was when um, Gillespie goes to the bank to get the statements? <laughs> you know the scene I'm talking about where the old man... You love old people, Bartek. You know the scene I'm talking about where the old man was like, oh... I don't know if I can show you these bank receipts. You're going to have to give me an official letter from the police department. And the scene ends with him being like, I hope you give me that letter. 
You remember that? There was something like that. There was something like that, yeah. When Gillespie had to check how much Sam had deposited into his bank account to prove yeah, his I... case that he did it. Yeah, there's it's ringing bells now, yeah. There's just like this old man who's just <laughs> like, you love old people in movies. Um, this is an old man from the 60s, so he's super old now. Yeah, there was a dog in this movie, and it's dead now, very much. There was That old man's going to cry when he hears this episode. Oh, come on, Bartek. Your favorite character wasn't Virgil Tibbs. Your favorite character was the desk clerk guy with the big eyebrows in the police. I am a big fan of big eyebrows. In the poli- And he's like, you didn't tell me. You told my brother about the broken <laughs> door. And then he's like, oh, by the way, I talked to your brother and he said I didn't tell him. So I know I told you. Get that door fixed. <laughs> that was a good little delayed punchline. I did enjoy that. <laughs> there was a consequence to his lies. Because that was a running thing. Like, all the things are broken because he asks this guy to fix it and he doesn't, <laughs> evidently. Mm. Uh, in the heat of the night. So, Bartek, next no. episode is listening people's suggestion for a movie. Um, yes. Are you ready to hear what movie it is? I am ready. I'm very excited too, actually. So I thought, you know, let's go with, you know, we're going to go from one movie about bigotry... I thought, let's be lighter and go to a movie about sexism. We're going to do She's the Man. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I can finally see the full thing. Oh, giving your history away with it, are you now? You've seen a bit of it. Yeah. Uh, my history is I haven't seen it, so there we go. Um, <laughs> She's the Man, starring... I think it... Iconic Amanda I think it Bond. has a good principal character. Amanda Bynes? Amanda Bynes, she's in it. She's the lead. She's the man. She is the man. This will be the second Amanda Bynes thing I've ever seen in my life. So <laughs> There we go. Other than her in real life having facial tattoos and a crack addiction, I think. But other than that, <laughs> will be the second Amanda... You're a big fat liar, Ryan. I'm a big, bigger, fatter liar. The second one that no one talks about that they made straight to video. <laughs> that does... <laughs> Uh, where it's just yeah. the same movie again, but shit. <laughs> um, For different people. Yeah, yeah, it is shot on video. Um, so, mm. listening people, uh, get ready to watch that movie in the interim of this episode and that episode coming out, because we'll be talking about that. Uh, you can hit us up on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. You can find us there and on any of the podcatchers available that you listen to. This podcast is on there. Feel free to rate and review us because on whatever one's allowed because that will stroke our egos. You know, give us five stars and, 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 and call us Mr. Tibbs. Um, did you know there's a sequel movie, Bartek, that's just about Virgil Tibbs being a policeman and it's called They Call Me Mr. Tibbs? Yeah, weren't there, aren't there two sequels, apparently? There are, there are, there are, but that's what I remember. I haven't seen the other ones, but the sequel, apparently, continuity errors, because it's like he's married in it, he's been married for quite some time, but yet it came out two years after this movie. Right. Um, so, whoops. Whoopsie. Um, you can email us at spitandpolished at gmail.com for your thoughts, your views to share with us. And like I said at the top of the episode, your suggestions for movies to cover. Because if it wasn't for Bartek's friend uh, Jono, I do believe, recommended yep. She's the Man, we wouldn't be doing She's the Man because I haven't seen it before, so I have no attachment to, and to want to do it on the show. And Bartek's seen a part of it, but I don't know if he had enough of an energy to have suggested it on the show before. Uh, am I right, Bartek? You wouldn't have suggested She's the Man. Probably not. There, there was a point last year when we were doing the final 10 films for Unappreciated Masterpieces. I was considering, like, oh, maybe an Amanda Bynes film. The one that I was going to pick was Robots, but I didn't think of She's the Man. I didn't even know she was in Robots. So I've seen, I've had two Amanda Bynes experiences then. There you go. Yeah. She was in Robots. Was she the lead robot? Was she the blue one? Uh, probably the female lead. Oh, okay. All I remember was Robin Williams was in that movie and he was annoying. That's I, I don't remember much about it. No Maybe one. Maybe like one scene. Should we do robots? <laughs> 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 Far out. I haven't I, thought about I, that. Movie. I remember. I spe- I remember. I specifically got rid of something 
and we ended up doing that instead for one of my picks for Unappreciated Masterpiece, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, wow. So that's it, listening people. A pleasure, as always, Bartek, to be podcasting with you yet again about a movie that is poignant, touching, funny, dramatic, tense, all the... And dark. Dark? I mean, I could see what was happening on screen because they lit it properly. Um, (laughs) Take notes, Zack Snyder. Take some notes. Um, I don't give a shit about your cut of Justice League as long as it's fucking lit. (laughs) Uh, Don't you you miss when things could be lit properly? That's the thing, too, with a lot of movies at recent. We talked about that with um, The Snowman, too, with the bad lighting and color grading in that movie, and that was a prestigious movie, too. Prestigious. Yeah, well, just put some lens flares and stuff. It doesn't matter. Fuck you. Lens flares. Um, I film it in the toilet. That's the light you need is the toilet bowl. (laughs) Uh, It's shiny. It's shiny. So, uh, until next time, listening people, remember to be kind to each other. And that that they call him Mr. Tibbs.